Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 337. Today's big Bible question is an important one. What is the Bible cure for anxiety? Well, happy weekend, friends. Hope it's a good Saturday for you. Two short episodes are on tap for this weekend. Today, we're focused on the biblical cure for anxiety straight from the lips of Jesus himself. But I can't let a couple of our First Peter 5 passages slip by uncommented on. First, a strong encouragement towards humility. First Peter 5, 5-7, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. And then a powerful primer on spiritual warfare in verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. So how do we resist the enemy, the devil? Uh, Well, it's not by our own strength. It's by being firm in faith, because resisting him is only by God's strength. Well, in addition to 1 Peter 5 and Luke 12, which is our focus passage today, we're also going to be reading 1 Chronicles 24 and 25 and Micah chapter 3. Our focus in Luke 12 is Jesus' message about how uh, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and not worry and not be afraid and not be anxious. Now, I suspect that in 2020 right now, many of us need to hear the teachings of Jesus on worry and anxiety because I believe, as I've said before, our worldwide anxiety level is probably at an all-time high, at least in the last 50 years. You already know that Jesus says, don't worry about things. And the Bible says that in several places. Don't worry, don't be afraid, don't be anxious. But I wouldn't necessarily call that a cure, but more of a prohibition. In other words, something you're not supposed to do. The cure comes shortly after the command not to worry or be anxious. So pay close attention and see if you can pick it up as we read Luke chapter 12, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. He began to say to his disciples, First, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others... The Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God, but whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on your guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive and he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys." For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be ready for your service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. And you also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Lord, Peter asked, Are you telling us this parable or to everyone? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and he starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. And that servant, who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it, will be severely beaten, but the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive A light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. I came to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already set ablaze, but I have a baptism to undergo, and how it consumes me until it's finished. Do you think that I came here to bring peace on the earth? No. But I tell you, rather division. From now on, 
Five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Are you, As you are going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hand you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So, we see the prohibitions in that passage. Do not fear. In other words, uh, take, uh, the, the way the King James puts it is, take no thought of your life, which I kind of like that expression. Don't strive for food and drinks. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. And then we see some commands likewise. Fear God and nothing else. Consider the ravens and how God cares for them. Consider the wildflowers and how God clothes them. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now these are all strong helps against worry and anxiety, especially the command to fear God and nothing else. And they are commands. They are stuff we must do. A lifestyle of following these commands and obeying these prohibitions will most certainly help us in our personal battle against anxiety and worry and fear. But I actually see two main sort of cures in this passage. Number one cure for worry is, according to Jesus, realizing that your worry is absolutely no help whatsoever. Verse 25 and 26, he says, Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If you're not even able to do a little thing like that, why worry about the rest? The point of what Jesus is saying is our worry doesn't help. And it doesn't. Worry puts us in a bad state of mind to do what we need to do. It hinders us rather than helps us. So I consider that something of a cure. The better, or not the better, the stronger cure is number two. The number two cure for worry I see in this passage is seeking first the kingdom of God. How is that a cure? Well, first, it takes our minds off of ourselves. And when our attention is completely self-focused, maybe you've noticed this before, I certainly have, worry, anxiety, and all forms of neuroticism will just naturally result. I believe that that's, that is maybe the number one reason that American society has seen kind of a big explosion in mental illness over the last couple of decades and drugs prescribed for mental illness because almost all of us have been raised in this very self-focused atmosphere in the West and it's led to problems. Now, I'm not condemning the taking of medicine and I'm not even saying le- depression is, isn't legit. Uh, please go listen to the episodes where we've talked about taking uh, well, taking medicine and depression and things like that, because we've discussed it several times. I'm merely saying that our society has become more self-focused, and that has led to a various amount of troubles, and it helps us greatly when we seek first God's kingdom rather than our own well-being. Counterintuitively, says Jesus, it is when we seek first God's kingdom rather than our own needs, that God himself meets our needs in a better way than we ever possibly could. So here's Spurgeon with some encouragements for us. He says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. 
That's Psalms 84.11. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that will rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. That's Isaiah 54.17. Spurgeon says, Our Savior intended faith to be our quietest concerning daily cares, or he would not have said, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought of for your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body what you will put on. Is not the life more than the meat, and the body more than clothing? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? What else but the exercise of faith, says Spurgeon, concerning temporal things, could he have meant when he used the following language? Seek not what you will eat or what you will drink, neither be of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. That's Luke 12, 29 and 30. Paul meant the same thing when he wrote, Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He who is gone to prepare heaven for us will not leave us without provision for the journey. God does not give us heaven as the Pope tried to give England to the Spanish king, saying, you can have it if you can take it, but he makes the road sure as well as the end. Now, our earthly necessities are as real as our spiritual necessities, and we may rest sure that the Lord will supply both. He will send us those supplies in the way of promise, prayer, and faith, and so make them a means of education for us. He will fit us for the promised land by the experience of the wilderness. To suppose that temporal things are too little for our condescending God, and Spurgeon means condescending in the way that he stoops down to pay attention to those who are lower than him, is to forget that God observes the flight of sparrows and counts the hairs of his people's heads. Besides, everything is so little to him that if he does not care for the little, he cares for nothing. Who is to divide affairs by size or weight? The turning a point of history may be a minute circumstance. Blessed is the man to whom nothing is too small for God, for certainly nothing is too small to cause us sorrow or to involve us in danger. A man of God once lost a key. He prayed about it and found it. It was reported of him as a strange circumstance. Indeed, it was nothing unusual. Some of us pray about everything and tremble, lest the small things should not be sanctified by the word of God in prayer. It is not the including of trifles which is any trouble to our consciences, but the omission of them. We are assured that when our Lord gave his angels charge to guard our feet from stones in the way, he placed all the details of our life under heavenly care, and we are glad to commit all things to his keeping. He that believes his God is not afraid of evil tidings, for his heart has found a calm fixity in trusting in the Lord. In a thousand ways, this faith sweetens, enlarges, and enriches lives." Try it, dear reader, and see if it does not yield to you an immeasurable wealth of blessedness. It will not save you from trouble, for the promise is, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, John 16.33. But it will cause you to glory in tribulations and troubles also, knowing that these things work patience, and patience works experience, experience works hope, and hope makes us not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who was given to us. That's Romans 5, 3 through 5. 
So I hope that's a strong exhortation for us. Listen, friends, for me, I need to be told over and over. I'm not a person who has spent much of his life worrying. Anxiety and worry has mostly been foreign to me, but I will confess to you that I've had three years where there in, in my 48 that have seen a well above of average amount of anxiety, worry, fear, whatever you want to call it. 2008, 2013, and 2020. So I, if you are anything like me, I need to keep reminding myself, dragging my eyes and mind back to the word and the commands of God to not worry. This has been a tough year, but my worry, my anxiety, and your worry and your anxiety is not going to change even the tiniest bit of it. So don't worry. Trust in God. Seek first his kingdom. Fear him and fear him only. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 24, verse 1. The divisions of the descendants of Aaron were as follows. Aaron's sons were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died before their father, and they had no son, so Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests. Together with Zadok from the descendants of Eleazar and Ahimelech from the descendants of Ithamar, David divided them according to the assigned duties of their service. Since more leaders were found among Eleazar's descendants than Ithamar's, they were divided accordingly. Sixteen heads of ancestral families were from Eleazar's descendants, and eight heads of ancestral families were from Ithamar's. They were assigned by lot, for there were offices of the sanctuary and offices of God among both Eleazar's and Ithamar's descendants. The secretary, Shemaiah, son of Nathanael, a Levite, recorded to him in the presence of the king and the officers, the priest Zadok, Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, and the heads of families and the priests in the, of the priests and the Levites. One ancestral family was taken for Eleazar and then one for Ithamar. The first lot fell to Jehoreb the second to Jediah, the third to Harim, the fourth to Serim, the fifth to Malkajah, the sixth to Mijamin, the seventh to Hekaz, the eighth to Abijah, the ninth to Jeshua, the tenth to Shekinah, the eleventh to Eliashib, the twelfth to Jacob, the thirteenth to Hupah, the fourteenth to Jeshabiab, the fifteenth to Bilgah, the sixteenth to Immer, the seventeenth to Hezer, the eighteenth to Hapazes, the 19th to Pedathiah, the 20th to Jehazkel, the 21st to Jachin, the 22nd to Gamul, the 23rd to Deliah, and the 24th to Maatziah. These had their assigned duties for service when they entered the Lord's temple according to the regulations which they received from their ancestor Aaron as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. As for the rest of Levi's sons, from Amram's sons, Shubael, from Shubael's sons, Jediah, from Rehabiah, from Rehabiah's sons, Ishiah was the first, from the Isharites, Shelamoth, from Shelamoth's sons, Jahath, Hebron's sons, Jeriah is the first, Amariah the second, Jehaziel the third, Jechamim the fourth, from Utziel's sons, Micah, from Micah's sons, Shamir, Micah's brother, Ishiah, from Ishiah's sons, Zechariah, Merari's sons, Machli, and Mushi, and from his sons, Jatsiah, his son, Merari's sons, by his son, Jatsiah, Shokam, Zakur, and Ibri, from Machli, Eleazar, who had no sons, from Kish, from Kish's sons, Jeremiel, Mushi's sons, Machli, Adar, and Jeremoth. These were the descendants of the Levites according to their ancestral families. They also cast lots the same way as their relatives. The descendants of Aaron 
did in the presence of King David, Zadok, Ahimelech, and the heads of the families of the priests and Levites, the family heads and their younger brothers alike. Chapter 25, verse 1. David and the officers of the army also set apart some of the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, who were to prophesy accompanied by lyres, harps, and cymbals. This is the list of the men who performed their service. From Asaph's sons, Zakur, Joseph, Nethaniah, and Azarilla, sons of Asaph, under Asaph's authority, who prophesied under the authority of the king. From Jeduthun, Jeduthun's sons, Gedaliah, Zari, Jeshiah, Shemai, Hashabiah, and Mattathiah, six, under the authority of their father Jeduthun, prophesying to the accompaniment of lyres, giving thanks and praise to the Lord. From Heman, Heman's sons, Bukiah, Madaniah, Utsiel, Shebuel, Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Eliathoth, Gidalti, Romamti, Ezer, Josh, Bekasha, Malothi, Hothir, and Mahatsiath. All these sons of Heman, the king's seer, were given by the promises of God to exalt him, for God had given Heman fourteen sons and three daughters. All these men were under their father's authority for the music in the Lord's temple, with cymbals, harps, and lyres for the service of God's temple. Asaph, Jeduthan, and Heman were under the king's authority. They numbered 288 together with their relatives who were all trained and skillful in music for the Lord. They cast lots for their duties, young and old alike, teacher as well as pupil. The first lot for Asaph fell to Joseph, his sons, and his relatives, twelve. To Gedaliah, the second, him, his relatives, and his sons, twelve. The third to Zachur, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The fourth to Isri, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The fifth to Nethaniah, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The sixth to Bukiah, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The seventh to Jezarela, his sons and relatives, twelve. The eighth to Jeshiah, his sons and relatives, twelve. The ninth to Mataniah, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The tenth to Shemai, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The eleventh to Azarel, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The twelfth to Hashabiah, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The thirteenth to Shubael, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The fourteenth to Mattathiah, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The fifteenth to Jeremoth, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The sixteenth to Hananiah, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The seventh to Josh Bekashah, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The eighth to eighteenth to Hanani, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The nineteenth to Malothi, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The twentieth to Eliathah, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The twenty-first to Hothir, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The twenty-second to Gidalti, his sons and his relatives, twelve. The twenty-third to Mahatsiath, his sons and his relatives, twelve. And the twenty-fourth to Ramamti Itzer, his sons and his relatives, twelve. Micah chapter 3. Then I said, Now listen, leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Aren't you supposed to know what is just? You hate good and love evil. You tear off people's skin and strip their flesh from their bones. You eat the flesh of my people after you strip their skin from them and break their bones. You chop them up like flesh for the cooking pot, like meat in a cauldron. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because of the crimes they have committed. 
This is what the Lord says concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who proclaim peace when they have food to sink their teeth into, but declare war against the one who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore, it will be night for you without visions. It will grow dark for you without divination." The sun will set on these prophets, and the daylight will turn black over them. Then the seers will be ashamed, and the diviners disappointed. They will all cover their mouths, because there will be no answer from God. As for me, however, I am filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and courage, to proclaim to Jacob his rebellion and to Israel his sin. Listen to this, leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert everything that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with injustice. Her leaders issue rulings for a bribe, her priests teach for payment, and her prophets practice divination for silver. Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, Isn't the Lord among us? No disaster will overtake us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field, Jerusalem will become ruins, and the Lord and the temple's mountain will be a high thicket. First Peter chapter five verse one. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, a a faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and testify to you that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And amen. What a great ending. Peace, friends, to all of you who are in Christ. Good day to you and Godspeed.